Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my new friend, the one and only Mr. Amari Williams on the pod with us today. Amari, how you doing, buddy? Hey, what's going on, John? Thank you so much for having me on today, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I'm super excited. Can you uh, give a quick introduction to who you are to the listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Imari Williams, and I'm a voiceover actor. Uh, been, I've been voiceover acting since 2007. It was my first actual full-paying gig. You're not really, you know, you're not really a voice actor until you start making money on your first gig. So the first time I made money was in 2007. Um, you can hear me on stuff as uh, on, uh, on on commercials like Planet Fitness. Um, I've before they have a new BK campaign out, which is a lot of singing. But before that, I was kind of doing the voice of, of BK for a little bit. Um, you can also hear me on A and E. I do lots of the promo there, as well as uh, document a series called Neighborhood Wars, uh, Christmas Wars. Road wars and customer wars now. So I'm doing all the wars. I'm going to battle. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and I also do, uh, I also work on video games. You can hear me on World of Warcraft. Oh, shit. Um, That's yeah, cool. I do, uh, I do like World of Warcraft, Call of Duty. Um, I do animation. So I've done Black Adam, Lego Black Adam, uh, Transformers Rescue Bots. You can hear me as Boulder. Nice. Um, anime, you can hear me as. Uh, a whole horse on Jojo, Jojo Bazaar. You can hear me as uh, one of the Hashiras on um, on um, on Demon Slayer, uh, which is a, one of my favorite animes. Uh, I'm on One Punch Man, so I've, I I kind of try to span the globe of what I do. Well, but yeah, that's that's what I am in a nutshell. I am a voiceover actor. That's fucking awesome. So. Yeah. How does one get started in voiceover acting? Because it oh seems God. like, I mean, there's really, you just listed a thousand things that you've done, right? So there seems yeah. to be like literally no limitations to what one can do in the field. But like, how do you get started in doing something like that? You know, that is a question for everybody because, you know, everyone who's interested in voiceover acting, they, they feel like it's this enigma. They want to know more about it, which is, which is one of the most, one of the best things about this field is just explaining to people what we do. Um, and those who are interested in it will ask me questions because I try to mentor people who are really serious about it. And the question, the answer is it's, everyone has their own journey. Um, everyone's journey is different. I traditionally started off as, um, an actor. I want to be an on-camera actor. And I studied with this, this coach, her name is Leslie Kahn, and she's a, a well-known coach in Los Angeles. Uh, this is before she blew up. She's now I can't even like call her and say, "Hey, can I talk to Leslie?" <laughs> They'll be like, "Who are you?" I have no idea who you are. She's like, um, it's like Lee Strasberg. She's like kind of has a schools like Lee Strasberg or Stanislavski or you know these or these you know these 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 acting schools. She's kind of running them now. Um, but I started off in her house. Wanted to be an on-camera actor. Had dreams, and I'm a Los Angeles boy. Uh, and I basically wound up like getting in, getting into it over the years because I didn't become an on-camera actor, obviously. Um, but I worked at a place that does commercials, and through the commercials, I started doing what they call scratch tracks. And that, so they started using my voice on scratch tracks. And then I'll explain a little bit more as we go in the interview. But uh, basically, I, I kind of fell into it that way. I worked at a post-production house, and they used my voice. Now, uh, anyone who's interested in voiceovers, the traditional route is you take classes. Um, you basically take workshops, you, you, um, you get to know people who are potentially booking things. And then off of that, you get little bits and pieces of stuff that you can scrounge together because really 
you know, when you want to get an agent, it's a little bit hard to just say, hey, I want to be a voiceover actor. They say, okay, what have you done? Yeah. And what can you give us? What can you give us to make us make money and you make money? Yeah. And until you get that, you know what I'm saying, you're basically out there on your own trying to get your own foot, trying to get your own jobs, uh, networking. Um, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of who you know. It's a lot of your skills, uh, how well you act, uh, how passionate you are on it. And also, uh, how many times you can hear no. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's life in a nutshell for sure. Um, yeah. So as like an L.A. boy, obviously you grew up with aspirations being just a regular actor, right? So what yeah. were those early days like? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming post high oh, school, post college. Like what was that journey like when you were finally like, okay, I need to like get a real job? I'm using air quotes. I, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, real. I always, you know, my parents, I, I come from a divorce house, right? So. Uh, my parents divorced at three, um, and each set of my parents are like extreme professionals. Uh, my mama uh, is uh, well, she she was a news manager, and she worked at uh, KTLA, CBS News, um, and and then ended her news career at Fox. Which, you know, I think she would have gone longer if she didn't end up at Fox. But you know, she ended it over there. It kind of burned her out after that. Yeah, understandable. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and then my, my second father is a psychologist, um, you know, kind of brought himself up and put himself through school. So my mom, uh, my, my biological father, uh, Ron Williams, Dr. Ronald Williams, as he's called, uh, is a, is a, a pediatrician, also headed the asthma center, uh, was on the board of Kaiser in Montana. Um, and my second mother is, has a doctorate in, uh, in, um, in uh, osteoporosis. Uh, I, I totally forgot her doctor title, Kathy. Don't don't get mad at me if you hear this interview. I forgot the, the the title, but she she was first a nurse, uh, and then she be, she was a stay home mom for me and my second me and my sister Noel, my half sister Noel, full sister. I don't view my sisters as half sisters. Uh, my full sister Noel, um, and then she took time out and got her doctorate and became a doctor wow. uh, at the age of fifty, I believe. Damn. And so. Um, yeah, so I basically what was the question again? It was how did I? I sorry, I ADD that. Well, I was like, yeah, no, I was like, just saying that you know, it's a great lead into my my me furthering that question because clearly you come from a very very professional, albeit split yeah. household, but like doctors and professionals and newsroom yeah. people. Yeah. What was the initial pull for oh, you from? There we go. Yeah. That, that's what made me go. Yeah. There we go. So me growing up, I knew I did not want to do any of that. Yeah. I was I. I <laughs> I was like, no, me no want to be a doctor. Me no want to be a medical. Me no want to be a psychologist. You know, I, I've always freaking always want to be an actor. I feel I've always loved television. I always loved animation. I've always loved cinema. Um, my whole life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew I didn't, I wanted to be something other than what they were. I didn't, I knew I deep down inside my heart. I want, I didn't want to work a nine to five. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I also drew as well. I want to be an illustrator. I wanted to be so many things growing up, an, an inventor. Uh, I wanted to be a mechanic. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to do all these things. And then I kind of fell on, on, on illustration, art and illustration. And I want to be an artist. So I bounced around from different schools. Uh, I was not really a scholastic kid. Uh, I have ADD. So same. we didn't find that out. You have to say same. Yeah, ADHD, it's, it's, yeah. ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So, it's, 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 I, I bounced around a lot trying to figure out where my place was scholastically wise. Uh, I was basically a C student. Mm 
Mm -hmm. um, went to like private schools, to this school, to learning educational schools, to schools that had little kids. To school. I fell on um, a gift from God, I believe, uh, at this place called Los Angeles High School for the Arts. And it's at the Cal State LA campus. It's called LOXA for short. And it's like fame. It's like a fame school. You have a music I've, department. I've heard of it, you, actually. Yeah. You've heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, we have Josh Groban went there. Um, Kehinde, who did the portrait for Obama, went there. Uh, we have I, my friend Tony plays with Kamasi Washington. With I mean, it's like it, I didn't know what I dove into. And I got, I got into a school of like basically a group. It, it, I don't want to say groom because room is such a negative thing now. But it it, it, uh, it, it it established a foundation for art, yeah. And it really it really um, trained me to just be to just be in that kind of work environment. I didn't do anything. I went to the, I went there for for illustration. I was a comic book nerd, mm -hmm. so I wanted to do comic books. I want to draw comic books as well. So that's why I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go to this school. I'm gonna learn how to do that. Um, and within me going to school, I got in for illustration, but then I also learned advertising. I learned. Um, sculpture i learned uh jewelry design I, I learned art and composition um fine arts rendering just everything within art i learned there uh to prop me up and to go into the field of art and what i discovered and but but, but, but i had a secret passion because when i was doing this and when, even in through, through elementary i love to act i love to act i love being on stage um if you were to ask me really what i want to do it was to be an actor it was to be an on-camera actor and the reason I went to the uh, when I went to that school, I didn't go to acting because my parents were such uh, professionals that they were basically like they were like, how, how is the school going to make money? It sounds like you're going to be kind of playing around and then doing your education, too, because what you would do is you stay there from eight o'clock to four thirty in the after four thirty and uh, early evening and you would do your scholastics and then you would do your art. And then that would last all day and you know, your projects and stuff. So they were like, well, this seems like a school that's like, you know, for, for fun. And I, you know, I don't, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to spend this into like making money? That was a whole thing. How are you going to get a job after this? And, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. and their whole thing was me just being like, you know, successful, which a well, parent should be. It should, parents should want success for their child. Mm -hmm. um, so my thing was like, okay, well, I can make money being an illustrator, you know, right off the bat. You can't really say that about an actor. Yeah. So I went there for illustration, even though I could have gone there for acting. And I really regretted that I didn't go over there for acting because, you know, you go to Loxa, you learn, you, you learn movement, you learn improv, you learn like, you know, set design, you learn um, just everything. so many different techniques, everything. Man. And I saw them do that when I was there and I really, I so desperately wanted to be there. But, you know, once you're there, you're in your science stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I did not get into acting until after I graduated. Mm -hmm. And so my mom just campaigned for me to get in the school because so many kids wanted to go to the school. It was like such a coveted spot. And so she made brownies. Like I auditioned twice and like she gave me the art classes I needed. She invested her time, you know, without my mom, Akilah Gibbs, I will say I would not, you know, I would not be, you know, at that level. Uh, she really worked hard and I got in uh, for my junior year, for my, for my sophomore year. And I got there and I stayed there all the way up until my, my senior year. So, yeah, man. And I, so then after that, I was like, you know what? I, I want to be an actor. Like after I got out of school, I was like, yeah, I love illustration, but it's more of a hobby. Mm -hmm. That's what I kind of learned. But I took all everything I learned there and I still use it to this day, just work ethically wise and everything. And so uh, I was like, I want to be an actor. And then, then, and then my mom paid for acting classes with Leslie Kahn. 
And that was my journey into like, you know, uh, sharpening that skill. Yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. I mean, talk about having like a very selective high school experience and without question outside of the norm of like, you know, a typical American sort of yeah. idyllic, you know, it's a Hollywood fucking high school is what Dude, it is. Dude, it was, everyone was there, brother. It was like, I shit you not, Wiccans, Jewish, yeah. religion, faith, Wiccans. Muslim <laughs> faith. I mean, I had a friend named Joanna and she freaked me out because I came from like, because in my, in my scholastic, like, you know, search, I went to a, like a fundamentalist Christian school and they put the fear of God in my ass. And it was like, you know, it was one of those schools where you like, uh, if the sin causes you to sin, if the, if the, if the cause, if, if something causes you to sin, pluck it out. If the eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. All that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was during the age of when I was like 13. So hormones were just ravaging my body. <laughs> and I was fucking all and all was all about trying to get, trying, I was all about thinking about when I was going to get laid. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That was like my whole thing. Like, when am I going to get laid? When am I going to get a girlfriend? Blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so like, you know, you're going to school that tells you those thoughts are evil and you know, this is bad and all that stuff. And then on the in, in, in the inside, you know that you want to sin. I told, I, I remember, I remember myself in class. I was, I was, it was Bible study. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a sinner because this is, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to, you know, I'm not waiting until I'm married. And yeah. you remember that, but, but, uh, but it was like, um, it was like a really cool experience. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it's, it's cool because it's different. Right. So I think it, to some degree, it also sets you up to like the alternative life path that you're clearly on. I think anyone who's yeah. in any sort of a creative career is, is living an alternative life path, which, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be one of those people as well. Yes. Um, yes. when you started into your acting journey, I've, I've, I've had some actors on the podcast before. I find it to be probably the, least enjoyable profession i could possibly imagine i mean just the sheer amount of times that you guys get told no right and it could be based on anything that is completely and utterly outside of your own control it's like yeah. it's an exhaustive sort of career to 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 uh yeah. to take under um but it it, obviously you you didn't do it to the degree that you were hoping to which led to the career in, in voiceover but what was that right. journey like early on when you're trying to like make your dreams come true and you're being told no repeatedly and and what was that like doing to your confidence in, in trying to pursue your passion and your love so when i started doing acting um you know one thing that leslie always always like talked about was you're going to be rejected a lot and you need to be prepared for that and you need to love what you do you need to love to act you need to love this craft and go into it with genuinely because of the love, because if you're going into it to make money, number one, uh, you will not achieve evolution as an actor because you will basically be thinking about money. What can I do to get money? Your, your performance won't be genuine. Um, your, your, your reasons unpure. Um, you need to love to be an actor. You need to love uh, the process. You need to love uh, memorizing lines and, and you need to love the fear that you, that you have when you're about to go in front of the camera and um and those are things that are just like kind of crazy it comes with just like there's some people who just have really have the knack they know i'm supposed to do this and there's some people who are like i don't know and so you have to get past yourself you have to you have to love yourself in a nice in a not not, not love yourself and like i'm going to be famous love myself yeah it's more of like i love myself and i know that i can do this if i really put my mind to it but honestly, after I was done studying with Leslie, I got scared. I, I, have, I have a friend, um, he's a, he's a, we have a family friend, Michael Tolkien, and he, he, uh, he wrote the book, The Player, and he, oh, also sure. helped, he also wrote the film, I believe, with Tim Robbins. And uh, not, with Tim, yeah, with Tim Robbins. And so I told him I want to be an actor. He was like, no, you don't, you don't want to be an actor. 
no. you don't you don't want to do it and i was like no no i really either i i, I really want to be it he goes, no i don't want you to be an actor and i was like well why not he goes like it's it's it's, it's degrading it's it's uh it'll, it'll kind of takes a little bit of your soul away and he's like you have to really be and i was like i i assured him i was like i really want to do it and so he got me on this uh he got me my first uh walk on uh for this for this um he was trying to adapt the player to for for small screen is with patrick dempsey and jennifer gray this is jennifer gray sands uh you know her nose job mm-hmm. so i didn't know who jennifer i didn't know it was jennifer gray but i had a huge crush on jennifer gray before she had the nose job on yeah. dirty dancing she i had a huge crush on her yeah and so i was at i was i was on the job and i i was doing this one scene where i got to walk on and see one line and i had no idea that michael was setting me up to get my taft hartley now for those out there taft hartley is basically it's your ticket into the union. So if you get Taft Hartley into it, you can automatically pay to get into the union. And that's what people are looking for when they hire you. Because they're like, are you union? Mm-hmm. Because then you can go on to the big jobs. You know, non-union, you kind of like get, you kind of, you don't really it's get hard. the jobs. You yeah. don't really get, it's harder, right? So I had no idea. All the all the extras were pissed. They're like, how the hell did you get a line? I'm like, I don't I, I just got a line. I don't yeah. know. And then like, so I said my line, but in between takes, I talked to Patrick. Patrick was studying with Leslie Kahn, and so he's the one who said, hey, you know, why don't you go and study with my teacher, Leslie? Because I was asking him about how he got started and everything. I was just sitting there talking to McDreamy. Yeah, right. You know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, holy shit. Um, and then I was talking to Jennifer, who was just the sweetest, sweetest woman. She's just such a sweetheart. And it was like, I had no idea who she was, but I was like, who's a sweet woman talking to me? And then Michael was like, that was Jennifer Gray. I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. I was like, you know, anyway. Um, through there, that's how I met Leslie. And then when I was ready to go after I graduated Leslie, I went out and I got scared to fucking death. I, I'm 6'3", and I've never been like an ultra lean person. You know what I'm saying? I've always struggled with my weight growing up. It's always been a kind of source of stuff. And even though looking back in the day, I was like, oh, I look pretty good in my 20s. Yeah. I thought that I was like on screen. I looked fucking huge. I was like 6'3", 6'4". Most actors are within 5'9", 5'10". I was, I doubted myself. I was like, well, what kind of roles can I get? You know what I'm saying? Like doing these media, like me, these roles. I'm going to be like the gangster. I'm going to be some dude's bodyguard enforcer. Like, how can I get these roles? Um, so I kind of, I kind of talked myself out of it, man. And, and I, and I, and I started kind of fucking around and doing uh, customer service jobs. And it wasn't until I reached my thirties that I got serious about, about like getting my life together. And that's where I discovered voiceovers. Well, actually, Everyone said I had a voice growing up and I should be on radio. My friend Steve, my friend Steve Moreno tried to get me to do voiceovers, but I was horrible. I didn't know I, 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 I didn't know I know what to do. Yeah. Like he was like, here, man, I think you'd be really good. Read the script. And I was like, um, Yukanuba. <laughs> feed your dog the food it needs. Yukanuba. Like and he was like, he's like, oh sh-. like he was like, oh, I saw I saw his face is sink. He's like, oh man, I don't. You know, I don't know. So you can't <laughs> do this. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, you're gonna have to take some lessons, and we just kind of dropped the whole subject. And uh, and I think I like tried to explore it like later on, but it was horrible because I know I didn't understand it. And um, it wasn't until I started at Cosmo Street, which is what which which is the job that that I I still work there doing scratch tracks with them now. Um, and what's a scratch were, track? In, scratch track is when you so when you lay down when you when you have a commercial. Um, you lay down what they call the scratch track for the editors to follow. So when you hear a commercial, it's like, you know, come on down to Toyota. We'll give you that new to- Toyota Tundra for just $39.99 a month, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So when you have that kind of stuff, the, the, 
the editor needs to, they, first of all, the editor gets a shot book and they look at all the different shots and where they want the graphics to line up and where they want this to line up. And almost every commercial has like a little voiceover or a little music or whatever. So they have to, they have to organize that and, and structure that. So normally what an, edit, what an editor does, they'll put their own voice in it and they'll just kind of like, you know, whatever, just like, here, put my voice. Some editors have gotten stuff. I think the, I think the guy from Apple used to be an editor uh -huh. uh, and he got his own spot. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, so what I used to do is I, you know, people knew I acted, but I was also doing uh, PA work at Cosmo. And then uh, my, this editor, Tessa Davis, she was like, Amari, you know, you, you sound like you have, I, you have this deep voice. Why don't you come, can you do the scratch track for me? And I was like, yeah, I would love to. And it was at the time she was doing Burger King and Burger King was by this guy named Lance. Uh, you was this guy, you sound like this. So every time we talked to him, like, hey, my name's Lance. How are you doing? Oh, it's great. So all this stuff was like Burger King, you know, the tender crisp. So I could do Lance, right? And I was, oh, she was like, oh, just do Lance. And I was like, all right, cool. I was, I was like, the BK tender crisp, shut it up with the BK tender crisp. Like it was like, you know, doing shit like that. Yeah. And then I would kind of like, you know, then they'd have spots for like Old Navy. And this is back in like the day when Old Navy, the Old Navy had this campaign where they had this guy sound like a newsreel guy. It kind of sounds like this. Okay, come on in, Old Navy. We'll oh, make yeah. sure we get your jeans and we get it on. Old Navy. Yeah. And so, like, you know, he's like, oh, Old Navy, we got this. We got this. And so I learned how to do that. And right. And in between this, I'm learning how to take direction because we had the clients there from like from Crispin Porter Bogusky, who worked on Old Navy. Um, I forgot which which branch was doing. Um, BK, I think BK was also Crispin at one point. Then it went to another place. Anyway, so yeah, so that's what scratch, scratch tracks are basically understudy tracks. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ADB out. I'm going <laughs> to get back to the bait. Scratch tracks are basically understudy tracks where they, they use it to kind of guide the editor um, when they're, through their editing process. And then what they do is they go ahead and they cast the actual voice for it. Right. That's pretty yeah. cool. So through that process of doing these scratch tracks, someone was like, this scratch track is fucking good. Why are we not just letting him do the regular voice? S so everyone at Cosmo was like, oh, Amari does pretty good scratch tracks. So then I was doing like, so I went from doing one editor to doing like almost every editor in the, in the, in the Cosmo street. I put my voice on something that they would do, whether it be Toyota campaign when they were there or Old Navy. Um, and so the first time I got it was my friend Sean Lagrange, who is now an editor. He was assistant editor at the time. He was a vault manager who hazed my ass the first time I worked there. He gave me a bunch <laughs> of blank digibetas to fucking black and code and he was like hey you can't go home until these are done it's like boom my god i was like what the fuck yeah. and uh, anyway he was like, he, he fucking hazed my ass but he 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 got promoted to uh he got promoted to uh to uh, to assistant yeah well now to edit flutter yeah he had to be assistant for years and then he was like hey mario you know i'm doing this thing for sony cyber shop would you mind putting your voice on it I'm like yeah he goes i don't want anything stylized we just want like a normal read and i was like well a normal read he goes, yeah just don't put anything on it just make it regular and i was like and i had never done a normal read before i don't know what the fucking normal read is i was like what's a normal read and so i was like fuck so don't put anything on it so just maybe i should just like what does that sound like because i had never taken classes before for voiceovers right i was kind of, kind of like just imitating people that i heard on, on on commercial so then i was like you know i've heard those commercials where the voice sounds a, a little impartial right where it sounds like i can really give a shit I'm going to tell you about this, this product and you're going to listen to the product and you're going to make a decision, but not based on my voice. I'm going to be very streamlined. I'm going to be very like down the middle. So you don't know who I am. I'm very ambiguous. Mm -hmm. And so I was, so that was the voice I went with. So that was like, 
So it was for Sony CyberShot. It was the first time you can connect your camera to the TV with HD quality. <laughs> so it was like, uh, it was like, uh, I think the tagline was like, watch your favorite, watch your favorite movies like you watch your favorite TV shows yeah. in high definition. Uh, then it was like uh, HD. It's in our DNA. And that was it, right? And I was, and so I did that. They kept my voice on it like the whole time they were there. And then Matt was like, hey, they like your voice on this. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, what does that mean? <laughs> and he was like, I think they want to use you. And I was like, oh, shit. So I was like, cool. So then they were, they went ahead and they fucking used me, man. And I got, and I got tapped heartily in because at that time, uh, I was still non-union. I didn't take advantage of the Taft Harley I'd gotten back in the day because I had no idea what the hell that was. I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't know. And so I was Taft Harley into the commercial, which basically for those out there, when you, uh, when you just to reiterate, when you Taft Harley, it's so that the union can use you even though you're non-union and you can be Taft Harley up to three times. So, and I want to decide and bring me back to if I, if I get too far off. When you get when you when you join the union, you have to pay your dues, right? Yeah. You have to pay your your quarterly dues and all that stuff. Now, for those who are struggling with uh, acting or with or making their way, let's say it. they get one you yeah, let's say they get one union thing, and then that's it for like maybe two years. Well, then you're still paying dues within those times. So something deep inside was like, don't join SAG just yet. Let's see how much how many other stuff we can do, and then we'll join when I really need to. Yeah. And so that's that's what I did. I just kind of like kept getting Taft Hartley if they liked me. And, uh, and then eventually had to join. That is fucking cool. I mean, the, there's a movie, um, with Lake Bell and, uh, in a world, yes, I think it's uh, called in a world, in yeah. a world. So <laughs> it's one yeah. of, one of my sneaky favorite movies just because I think she's so fucking good in that movie. Um, yeah, she's so good but movie. like until that movie came out and then there was the corresponding documentary that released shortly thereafter with the guy who does like Mr. Movie trailer or whatever his name was, I think he yeah, might have died. Um, did he die? uh, oh, we, with 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 John with John LaFontaine. Yeah, he died. Yes, right? we call him the voice, man. We yeah. call him the, the we call him El Voce. Yeah, he's like he's uh he's he was a man who still who started that in the world. Like yeah. that was his that was his baby. Yeah, and anything you hear after that was because of him. Yeah. So like we always give credit to Don. Yeah. So like before that movie, the fictional one with Lake Bell, and then the corresponding documentary that came out shortly thereafter with him. Right. The world of voiceover, I feel like, was very not talked about. Like it was just something that happened, and it was just out there, and 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 I knew nothing of it. And then you learn about the wild, wonderful world that is voiceover acting. It's an incredible way to make a living. Um, so you've been lucky enough to be doing it for a lot of years now. I'm super curious, like because you sort of, I don't want to say stumbled into it, but it just is like how life is, right? You you evolve into something that just ends up being yeah. your thing that you have a knack for that you're awesome at that. I mean, I can hear it just on this fucking podcast. Like it just sounds like, <laughs> you know, you, you say something, it's like accidentally sounds like you're doing a commercial, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, when man. you, when you like, you, you know, I, I fell into my photography career in my thirties. So I, I've, I've, I've come at life sort of like the later part of my thirties where, you know, yeah, you, you start like, wondering, like, me, like yeah, you start wondering, like, am I going to find my thing? Am I going to find the thing that makes me happy? Yep. And I think that happens for everyone, but was there any point in your journey leading up to when like voice acting started clicking for you that you had any doubts about being successful in something that you happened to love? Oh, fuck man. I doubted myself since like I could remember it's horrible. I doubt myself to this day. You know what I'm saying? Like I deal with that. Like yeah, I deal with, uh, you know, having ADD was hard, man. Like, it was like, you feel like you were just dumb. 
You know what I'm saying? You have your, your teachers telling you you're just a, you're misbehaving. You have your parents saying, like, I know how smart you are. I know what you can do. I know you can do it if you just apply yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you just don't have the mental bandwidth to fucking do all that shit, right? Yeah. What you do have the mental bandwidth is to apply it to things that interest you, mm-hmm. right? You get excited about things that you're interested in, you know? So it took teachers to really bring that out to make things interesting for me. But if it was like textbook, if I had to read anything class, if I had to listen to someone with a droned out voice, I would fucking fall asleep. Yeah. I would lose, I would lose concentration. I would make jokes. I would get in trouble. Yeah. Same. And so like, you know, just kicked out of class principal's office. Mm -hmm. Amari did this. Amari's so bright, but, but Amari's so bright, but so it was always like, you know, do, do I, am I worthy of having the success or having the ability to be good at something, right? Wow. I just, you know, I never felt like I really accomplished myself as an artist um, because I didn't feel like I was as good as, as, you know, at the time Jim Lee, I was trying to be like Jim Lee. It took so much effort to like, you know, get my hands right or draw the feet or draw action poses. And I was like, man, and then like, you know, and then, uh, and then like when it came to acting, I think the one thing I felt for sure is with my acting. I think, one thing I knew, I, I will say one thing I'm good at, because I think that there's something that I think there's things people know that they're good at. And I'm not going to be this guy who goes, I never was good at. No, I think I was pretty good at meeting people. I was good at cultivating relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I was great on interviews when I, in high school. I, I, I had my first job at 13 and I basically worked ever since then, like 250 an hour at a comic book shop sweeping up shit. <laughs> like it was, they, they, they used me for slave labor basically because two fifty an hour wasn't shit. Yeah. And like 60, I, I worked eight hours. I got 16 bucks and 16 bucks for the day. And I fucking sweated my ass. I was like, what the fuck is this? So that was great because I was like, well, I don't want to do this shit to make this little money. So that kind of instilled me. I want to do something, but I had to really just kind of like, you know, it took some therapy. I, I was, I also have OCD. Mm-hmm. So, you That's know, a lot of things combination. It's a crazy Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Fuck though, yeah. I mean, dude, if I was, my, I, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I have a little bit of OCD, but it only really yeah. relays into like even numbers on things. Like, I know yeah, that's yeah. weird, but like, no, it's not. If it, weird. If that's it was OCD, if, dude. if it was OCD with like being clean or like having like my apartment yeah. organized, forget about it. And and I have ADD. My God, I would. I'd be jumping. It's fucking hell. Yeah, I mean, but the yeah. but the thing is that like it's like your own domain is your own. So OCD is very much like it can. It, it's like basically being super super like being extra superstitious. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? My my OCD was harm coming to my parents because I love my parents more than anything. Harm to my family. Um, I got into this whole fear of Satanism because of this this uh, this fundamental school. I was like scared of like disappointing God, so that got into my head, and then also cleanliness. So. Mm-hmm. Like it manifested in different ways. So like with my OCD, I could walk on a crack and I could, and I could think of the word, my mom's going to die. Oh, shit. And I, what I would do is I would go back over the crack, step on it and say, my mom's going to live. And that's how it really started. Wow. And then like, I started doing more and more. So like I turned the light switch off and like death and I'd have to turn the light switch back on and go life, like in my head, like wow. death, life, death, life, death. Like, and I had to do it until I didn't hear it anymore. So to the average person, it looks like this. It looks like someone doing this and they don't understand. They're just like, hey, how you doing? Click, 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 click. They're like, what is, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, and you're, what you're doing, you're, you're doing your, um, you're doing ritual. your triggery, right? Your, yeah. your, your, your ritual. And a lot of people don't understand that. So if you ever see anyone who kind of does some weird jerky movements after they say something or maybe like, because it can be, also be tied to Tourette's as well. 
So some people roll their eyes to the side. Some people do this like jerky thing. That's also Tourette's is kind of tied into that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to do behavioral therapy. So I've been in, in therapy since I was like 14. I had a, I had behavioral therapy for for uh, to help me get the tools to control uh, having OCD, and then I had to have therapy for my ADD. Yeah. And so I, I've been in therapy like my whole life. I mean, off and on my teens, my twenties. Yeah, I'm yeah. a I'm a big big proponent of therapy. I think you know. So oh yeah. For context, for like the last almost three years of my life, so I lost my job in the middle of the pandemic, and I was like, Shit. "Fuck." I'm like, I'm fucked. Like, this is it. Like, no one was hiring. Like, I I think at times it's easy to forget how fucking crazy those first six months of the pandemic was because the world was fucking nuts. And I just. No one knew what the fuck they were doing. Yeah. No one the fucking grocery stores, the toilet paper, yeah. the fucking all that shit. It's like it's we have very short term memory when it comes to like how chaotic those first six months were, yeah. even the first year. So I lose yeah. my job in the first few months of the, you know, in August of 2020. And shit. I'm like, I'm fucked. I'm completely fucked. I was like, you know, I I had changed careers. I took this job in March of 2020. Two days in, we went remote. And then in August, I get laid off. And I'm like, I don't know oh. what the fuck I'm going to do with my life. Like, right. I'm just like a, in a position where I, I'm fucked, like totally fucked. Right. And I was able to sort of find my path into photography. And then now this podcast that I think like over time, like, you know, they the the right things in your life present themselves to you at they the do. right moments. Um, but I do do give a lot of credit to like going to therapy and like figuring out myself and asking yeah. myself questions that I spent zero time asking myself in my twenties or even my early thirties because I never really stopped to think about those things. Right? No. And if it, I think I don't know yeah. where I would be right now if it wasn't for therapy, if it wasn't for the, the fucking pandemic like my life would be in a completely different place right now and i'm in like in a weird way i'm like thankful for all of that chaos but i am a yeah. big believer that like everything sort of falls into place as it should um and i and i love therapy for that i think you know without having given that clarity to who i am through all of those sessions and all those hours i i don't know what the fuck i'd be doing right now i'd probably be miserable i'm just i thank god that my dad my, my second father is a psychologist because oh, yeah. I was I was hiding my OCD for my parents. It would take me like my mom was so angry because I, I I would take forever to get ready because I kept on putting my belt on and off because I'd have evil thoughts. Um, and I, I want to clarify to people out there too, you know, there's a dis, there's a there's the thoughts are also associated with schizophrenia. So like you know when I say thoughts, I'm not thinking about like I'm hearing actual thoughts. They're they're just like. Blips. You know, how you talk to yourself. There's like kind of things that you say to yourself mm-hmm. that you're like, oh my god, that's gonna happen. And like, you know, <laughs> I want to come back to that. But I had, a, I had a therapist one time, my friend Chio. She said, she one time I had this, I had a reoccurrence in my 20s. And I was like, you know, I had this thing where I couldn't leave a conversation without feeling like I left it in a weird way. So I'd always, be, I'd be thinking about the conversation like maybe hours after I'd finished it. Like, God, did I sound right? Did I sound that? I looked like I was like, did I say something that might have offended them maybe? Mm-hmm. I was so worried about how I left the conversation. And one day, and this is kind of like, basically people's ability to control things that are outside of their control, right? Um, I can't control how people receive me because if I'm meaning well-intentioned, if I'm being well-intentioned, I'm being well-intentioned. That's the only way I know how to do it. So if there's someone out there that might misconstrue that, then I, 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 there's nothing, I I can't do anything about that. Right. Yeah. Um, But so she said, she was like, Chio Maniwa. I love her so much. Um, She said, after I explained this to her, she goes, wow, you know, Mari, 
you must be extremely powerful. And I was like, huh? I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about like God level power because the way you say goodbye to someone dictates how their day is going to go. <laughs> and I, <laughs> that's power. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I was like, huh? And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. She was like, listen, man, listen, I love you. You're, you have a great personality. You're a very handsome young man, but you're just not that powerful. Yeah. And I was like, wow, you're absolutely right. She goes, you, you aren't that powerful, man. You're not that special. You how, know, you can't, you know. Yeah. I, I was just say, how co- close to that conversation and then you starting to feel like you're worthy of like good things happening to you were that in relation to like your life and timeline? Because to me, that seems like a very impactful conversation in terms of like reshaping someone's mental capacity to that's, be like, I'm, yeah. Dude, that's so funny that you said that because it was with her. I was seeing her because I was, I was creeping on 30 and I had spent all my 20s fucking around. I lived in my mom's house till I was 26. And I went to a 420 party. And I, I had Vicodin on me. I had shrooms and I had weed. And I got pulled over because I had no tags on my car. I was basically living like, I was basically partying like a freaking frat boy. Going <laughs> to like, you know, USC, UC, UCLA. Some of my friends were there. And just partying out and using my mom as a flop house and all this other stuff. And kind of like, I was, I was really scared to try. I was scared to like, to move on. I was, I was in this weird, weird circling pattern um, of doing things that felt comfortable to me, which was talking and partying. And it wasn't until that happened where I got, I actually got arrested uh, because I, because I had no tags and I'm in La Cunada, which, you know, driving a, a 1981 Cadillac Seville with shag carpets, <laughs> you know, black, yeah. big and black in La Cunada, yeah. uh, which you don't want to be, especially without tags during that day, during that time. And, uh, you know, they cop pulled me over. He goes, what's up? And I was like, oh, yeah. He goes, oh, I'm going to search your vehicle. And, of course, you know, he found, you know, Vicodin that my dad, but I had gotten from, like, not my dad, I got him from, like, a, a, a friend because I had, like, weird knee problems. So I would keep it on me because my knees were, like, had um, arthritis or tendonitis, tendonitis. And they're, they're, sometimes it gets so bad. So I, I would keep one when I really wanted. I rarely did a recreational, but the shrooms and the weed was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Either way, the cop didn't give a shit. He was like, clank. Like, and I was in jail for like two days and I, I tried to be quiet about it. And they sent me this notice to appear in court. I don't know. What the, I've never been in fucking jail before. I don't know what the fuck that is. Like appear in court. Well, mom found it and she called me up and she's like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, well, I said, I just have to appear. No. You're fucking, you're, you're being charged with drug possession. You can go to jail. And I was like, what? Yes, I'm getting you a fucking lawyer and you're going to straighten this out like immediately. And so I was like, oh shit. So I thank God that I didn't try to keep that to myself because I was going to try, I, it was by mistake that she found the letter and then she got me like an attorney. And then after that, she goes, you know what, boy, son, it's time for you to get out the house. Yeah. It's time for you to leave now. Like she was like, you're, you're stuck. And you need, you need to like, you need to unstuck, you need to unstick yourself. Mm. It was the best thing she could have ever done for me. She gave me money to help move out. And then after that, I took over the bills myself. And of course, over my twenties, you know, she'd help me out and stuff, but it was really like me paying the apartment. I wouldn't move to my friend uh, and all that stuff. But closing on 30, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, I, I'm like, I, I did not finish call, like, uh, uh, I did not finish uh, junior college. I was at PCC for six years. Six fucking years at PCC. 
It was unbelievable. <laughs> and I did not know what I wanted. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But I, but deep down inside, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be, I wanted to be an actor. That's what I want to be. And so like my, my, uh, when I went to Chio, my mom paid for it and she was like, okay, I'm going to pay for you to go see my life coach Chio. And I think she can help you out because Chio dealt with ADD and she dealt with organization and she dealt with, um, she dealt with, uh, with just, you know, organization yeah. mentally. And so when I went to go see her, it, oh my God, she just changed my life because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have had the idea to go to Cosmo Street, which is where I got my start. And then that's what gave me my start into voiceovers. She, but I, what I was going to do is I was like, she was like, so what do you want to do? So I would ask myself this question. And I, and I tell my friends this too, like when they feel stuck, I'm like, you know what you want to do. I think most people know what they want to do, but they've been programmed to think that their dreams are so far-fetched that is just ridiculous. It could either be you're part of a, a household where it's extremely traditional and you say you wanna do something artistic and you're in a household that's like, no, you must be a doctor, you must be a lawyer. This is the thing, this is the way. I had a lot of friends uh, from, from, my, from Asian nationalities, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, that felt such an obligation to their family that they didn't really feel like they could be who they want to be because they had this pressure. Number one, they're the eldest mm -hmm. and they had this pressure to succeed. And so they're extremely like just, they had a lot of weight on their shoulders um, to be something. And so I think a lot of people, I think it's not just friends like that, but I think a lot of people are, have dreams. And I think reality gets in the way of those dreams and it makes you scared Yeah, and it makes you not ask what you want to do. And so she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, so I asked myself every day, what do I want to do? I kept coming back to the same damn thing. I want to be an actor. I want to be in the industry. So she was like, I was like, well, it's too late for me to try to be an actor. I need to make money. So I was like, well, maybe I should be an editor. And I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to this LA recording school. She goes, hold on. Before you do that, why don't you find a job that has editing? Because you're, you're almost 30. You're 29 years old. Do you want to really go in debt $50,000 over three years? You don't want that. Mm-hmm. Why don't you find a spot where you can go ahead and learn on the job and still make money? And I was like, all right. So gift the gab. I applied to two places. Cosmo Street took me. I took a class of Moviola. Hated editing. I hated it. <laughs> Thank God I did not spend 50. <laughs> God, I did not try to do that shit. It was the boringest shit for me ever. My thing is I like to talk to people. I like to do that. I like to talk. I like to meet people. I like to, uh, I like to act. I like to move around. Um, so yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, it feels like your life was pushing you cosmically to doing what you're doing now. And it's funny. Yeah. It, I, listen, I, I've been a big proponent of the fact that like, I found the thing that I love to do in this world, whether it's my photography or my podcast, like I know I'm doing the two things that I'm meant to be doing. Maybe in a few yeah. years, that'll include directing and video stuff. Maybe who the fuck knows? Yes. Like, I, you know, I don't know what yeah. the future holds, but it will be more or less doing the same things that I have. I think it takes some, some brief period in your early thirties for you to be of the understanding that it's never too late to chase a dream. And like your dream life is totally available to you no matter what. And after yes. a while, like the things that you're meant to be doing, the people that are meant to be part of your life, 
all of those things start kind of coalescing and lining up in front of you. It's just obviously yeah. up to you to sort of recognize that. And I think it's just very funny how, you know, we have very similar, albeit different paths to sort of that same understanding and getting to a point where, you know, you've aligned the person with who you are and the career that you're meant to have. I think that's that's pretty cool because it's a relatable thing. Like you said, it's it's easy to be scared to make drastic holistic changes in your life but if you're miserable if you're lost if you're like unassuming or unaware of what you should be doing it's easy to be like fearful for taking a risk but like at the end of the day you got to take those chances to be able to find the thing that you're supposed to be doing and yeah i mean you're a great perfect example of that because you you've took multiple chances in your 20s and into your 30s and then you finally found the thing that you love most which is fucking really cool like really cool I, th- I think I, I, I am like, I was raised Christian, um, but I'm really like, I've just, I've, I'm a very, like, I, I'm spiritual is what I am. You know what I'm saying? Same. I, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm a spiritual man. I believe in someone higher than me, you know what I'm saying? But I don't like to proselytize people. I have my own journey. I have my own thing. And I've always felt a connection. Um, if this makes sense with the universe, I always felt watched yeah. over mm-hmm. in a way. Same. I, my mom, my mama said that when I was born, she gave a rabbi, she gave a rabbi a ride. Uh, he was stranded. She gave a rabbi a, a ride to uh, to the temple. To his temple, he was in a rush. And I guess on the way out, he gave me a Jewish blessing uh, when I was a kid. And I always felt like, I always felt like, um, I always felt blessed. I always felt like, oh, that's you know, I always felt watched over. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Because everything I've done has always guided me through my life, and I get goosebumps thinking about it because, you know, when I worked at Cosmo Street, I was working for like, I didn't really get that much raises over there. I was working, but what I did get was more, was keep, I kept getting jobs and they would allow me the opportunity to audition. They allowed me the opportunity to like pursue this. Uh, Yvette Colbarubias, I love this woman with all my heart. Um, I think about her and I get like a little tear because I, she's hardcore, man. She was, um, she started off as a receptionist for Cosmo Street and now she's the owner. Wow. Our owner of Cosmo Street. They have offices from Los Angeles to Illinois, in Miami, New York, and um, you know, she she was pulling for me behind the scenes. I remember I talked to her, and she'd give me maybe like ten seconds before I started drifting off to the side. I had to be make it quick, make it better. And she was like, okay, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. But behind the scenes, she was telling people how much she loved me. She was pushing me. She was saying, hey, Amari does scratch. Get him on there. And she was, she was, you cannot succeed without the help of a village. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't care. Like someone in your life gives you an opportunity right now, whether you take the opportunity or not, or whether you take that opportunity seriously is all up to you. Mm -hmm. But I believe there are people in your life, um, guardian angels that appear and they'll offer you, they'll say, here, take it. And if you are, if you are like in a place where you can't see the opportunity, if you can't feel what it is, you will miss it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And maybe the door will happen again. Maybe the door will be different. Yeah. But like, you'll miss it. And so, and so I, I felt like there were doors opening and I felt like I was going straight, even though I was working till like two o'clock in the morning, I was exhausted. You know, I had a kid in a one bedroom apartment with my wife. Um, now, now we have two. But we all had two kids in a one-bedroom apartment. I'm making $11.25 an hour. And I'm counting on these things to, like, these these jobs to help me out. And I always was provided for. Yeah. As long as I freaking went for it, right? You know, it's funny. Just the – I like, 
I, I you know I'm a spiritual person. I grew up Catholic. Um, I I believe wholeheartedly in manifesting like your your dreams into reality because I think yeah. just the belief that you said like it's very important for context purposes. Like if you believe that the universe is looking out for you, and if you believe that yeah. things are meant for you. They're going to happen. Like, it sounds so yeah. cheesy. Like, fucking 25-year-old John would be laughing his ass off at, like, hippie John being like, the universe is rooting for you, John. Just keep going. But it's fucking true. No, really is true. Because, like, really I've, had a, I've had a rough year, like, both, like, financially and just, like, growth-wise. It's been a rough year. 2022 sucked. Yeah. But yeah. I know that this is like speed bump to like lift off, right? Like just something better. Planes yeah. have to bump on the runway before they take off. And like I, I yeah. know that I'm bumping on the runway before I take off. I know it. I believe it. And I think that is the mentality that allows me to be successful next year and the year after. Yes. And, and those beliefs, whether you need to chalk it up to God or Allah or yeah. you know whatever, it doesn't matter. If you Jehovah. believe, yeah, right. If if you just if you believe that the universe is looking out for you, it's a it's it's going to provide. And I truly do believe that. Um, and you also yeah. mentioned the fact that like it takes a village. I think the best part about life that you learn as you get older is that when you put other people in positions to be successful, that happens for you. So like when you yeah. show up for other people and you do the right things for other people, that karma comes back on you in some unknown yeah. way. Like I helped somebody out do a job like a few months ago and that has turned into like me getting a reoccurring client every month for something that yeah. they can't do anymore because they've got something else going on. And I just really believe what? that yeah. if you put up for other people, that comes back for you as well. It's like we live in a very exhausting time in the world, but if you do yeah. the right things and you act the right way and you try to not be a totally shitty person, like good things yeah. can happen to you. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yes. I try to pay it back. I, I, I had so many people like, you know, who, who helped me along the way. How can I not help do the same for someone else? Right. You don't just take your toys and say, Oh, I got these toys. Great. They're my toys now. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, they're no, don't touch them. No, I'm going to be like, if someone asks me for help, I'm going to help. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like if someone says, well, how can I do this, Amari? And you're sincere. Now, I will say everyone and their mama it comes down and says, oh, I'd like to make a quick buck. How do I get in a VO? Yeah, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, no, no, no. I'm like, no. And I get it. It's almost insulting to me Yeah. because I had a lot of shit. To, I had a lot of fear, man. I, I had people say, you can't make a living on voiceovers. Oh, you're great, Amari. But, you know, it's really hard to make a living on voiceovers because I believe within the journey, you're also set with, with, with discouragement mm -hmm. because, you know, you might be on a path and you'll have people, naysayers. Like saying, oh, this is, you're good, but, you know, maybe not that good. Or you're this, or maybe you got to do this. Oh, God, it took me so long to do this, but then I had to just finally give up. So then you have people who've given up on their dreams, mm -hmm. kind of like the way you down. You have people who are maybe not in the mind state to be, to, to, to succeed and to, to get what they want. So then you you kind of like, you they kind of try to grab you back. It's 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 like misery, misery loves company. Yeah. So I felt a lot of people like, you know, holding me back and God, what kind of stuff is that? That seems like an unattainable thing, blah, blah, blah. That seems like a nice little hobby. Yeah. All this shit for years, man. And, 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 uh, and I had to be, I had to swat it. I had to go, you know, those, that, I, what's that Kendrick Lamar song? Get <laughs> that not me like, huh, not me like, huh. But it's like those, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's that limiting belief system that will impact people's ability to be successful. Right, like just yeah. even removing those people from your life and that like negative cloud that oh it's cool but you can't do blah 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 or oh that's exactly. awesome so great but you can't do blah blah it's like I don't need that shit like get the fuck no. out of here with that 
No, but then some people think they do need that because that's what's been around their whole life. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, we're only a product of our environment. And so like everyone, like I was given the tools. Can I, can you even imagine someone with OCD and ADD with an ignorant parents who think that they're just possessed by Satan? No. Or maybe like someone who's like, thinks that, oh, you're just lazy. Why can't you try harder? Yeah. And they've never had the resources. Like I have had a middle class, an upper middle class, like uh, then when I come from a, a a successful family, black, upper middle class, you know what I'm saying? Which, you know what I'm saying? Privilege. What I thought was, was, I came from privilege. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I think I always had a little bit of survivor's remorse, which is why I want to be like Ice Cube when I was growing up. Like, nah, man, I ain't really like, and that's the thing, like in black communities. And what a lot of people don't understand is that there's lots of successful black people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just me growing up. What do you get? What, what, what does the media want to show you? They want to show the dudes who, who's on crack. They want to show gang violence. They want to show absentee fathers. They want to show single mothers. They want to show this. And so you get this negative connotation of what being black in this country is, successful in this country is. And there's so, and it's, and it's, and it went in the, in, in, when in the, in the, in the end, it's, it's just like anyone else, success or not successful. You know what I'm saying? We just happen to be a minority in this country. Yeah. And so like, like, I had to get past this whole thing of like, this is what I got to be black. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I got to be like, I got to be extra hardcore and shit. You know what I'm saying? Man, I can be talking all regular and shit. My mom would like constantly, I'd be like, I'd be like hey mom, uh, where's, where's, the, where's dinner at? She goes, behind that preposition. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, and I was like, I she like goes, hey, she pull your pants up, do this. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. Get you out, no, come here. Do you think you that's know? also like a byproduct of age as well? Because I feel like in order to like know yourself and become yourself, it takes time. Like, I think there, yeah. you go through phases and you're like, I call it like the pretending years of my life. Like my twenties were yes. pretend years. Like I was pretending to be what the group of people around me yes. and like my job and whatever those things, yeah. what society said of me versus like who I actually wanted to be. I think that's like very common. It's hard to sort of buck that trend regardless. It's just not easy. Right. Yeah. Like it takes you know, time. So, it's so funny in your twenties, <laughs> in your twenties, you're playing house. Yeah. You're right. You're, you're, you're technically an adult, but if you were to say, do you feel like an adult? Fuck no. No fucking way. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. What are we doing? I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> man. I'm going I'm, I'm partying. I'm, <laughs> you know, the dumb like, shit on. I did in my twenties. I did. <laughs> you know it was saying? a joke. It was a pretend. I'm it was like, like, you know, a... you play, yeah, you're, you're like, you, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, man. Like you, you, you're not supposed to. And so like, so it's so funny because like I go to this gym and there's so many, like, like, like there's, there's early 20 year olds at stages. There's, they, there's people in their mid twenties and there's people about to hit 30 and I'm looking at all their transitions and I see it and I see their fears. And I'm, it's so funny cause I've been through that shit and you can't say shit because like the thing is that you say something, people will think, Oh, whatever. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know this. Everyone has their own experiences. Right. But I see, I see the doubt in the head. I see, I see like people I talk to that are close to 30. They're like, they look like they're about to die from yeah. old age. Well, they think that's like, what it is. I thought it too. think that's going to happen. Like, what am I going to be when I'm 30? I'm not, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm like, you're not supposed to be where you're at. It is rare to have that kind of discipline. Yeah. Now I have friends who've been like, I'm going to be this. And they have always stuck to that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That would be nice. Yeah. But we are in a world full of instant gratification we want this now. We don't want to. We don't want to cook in the pan to make it dark. We want. We don't want. We don't want to cook in the wok to make it gummy. We want to make. We want to instantly make it gummy. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can you can ever antiquate something is by cooking in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you can't 
live life unless you cook. Yeah. I guess that's my analogy. You know, yeah. you have to cook. Oh, it's like you, you want good chicken. You need to marinate that shit. It takes a little extra time. marinate that shit. Yeah. You can't just throw that shit, put some salt and pepper on there and expect <laughs> it to be nice and moist. No, yeah, you got to exactly. freaking like, you got to, you got to fucking do what you got to do in order to get it there. I love that. Know? I think that is like, it's also one of the reassuring things I think as I've gotten older too, is like realizing that the best things in life take time. Nothing in yeah. life that's worth having comes quickly and easily. Like that is yeah. the biggest cliche joke in life but like every overnight success is years and years and years in the making and i think that's like it's it's a relief to know that to know that like hard work takes time it's not that this is going to be an overnight success because then it it, it's it's like you're able to see that the progress will take time to get to where you want to be and and that's nice um when you look at like where your career is at from a voiceover perspective it's like you've only been doing it for however many years right um do you look at like specific goals that you have, like jobs, uh, clients, customers? Like, I imagine you're like freelance. How does that like work in terms of like looking towards yeah. the future of like what you want out of your career? My so right now, this it's, it's it's such a good question because you know um, I'm on the upper two percent, man. I work almost every day voiceover. Oh, it's shit. very rare. Yeah, it's very fucking rare. It's, it's I I I have knock on my phone padding here in my booth. Um, <laughs> It's very rare that to be where I am right now um, because there's a lot of voiceover people who live from paycheck to paycheck and mm-hmm. they're trying to get that consistency. And it was from the, the relationships I've cultivated um, and the people that I've gotten that, that has allowed me to get what I have right now. And I, and so my goals have to always change because, you know, it's so easy to be complacent when you have things, um, which I also think is why you have to struggle. Because you have to, because if anyone's given something free, would you really respect it? Nope. No. You have, what do you, someone gives you, gives you like a free toy and a happy meal. You, that shit's on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like what, uh, unless you're told this is going to be a million dollars one day and you have something to back it up. Oh fuck. I'm going to, I'm going to keep this in a case. I'm going to make sure it stays pristine. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what people need to do with their career. Because if you're given something, you won't respect it. Mm-hmm. You need to. You need to have fear. You need. You need to have struggle. You need a fear of loss. You need to have the satisfaction of, of reward, and all those all those things to cultivate a, a, a career or something that you really have faith in. So what I do is I'm like, you know, my thing is like I I want to do more promo. I want I me. Mean, I want to do more trailers within promo. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I have a, a really good friend named Gabe Kunda who's just killing it. He's killing it. He's on Marvel movies. You hear Black Panther. He's on Black Panther. He's oh, on cool. he's on Avatar. So if you hear the on Avatar, David Disney SD. Yeah. That's that's my my friend Gabe Kunda. That's cool. And he's like he is like a, a leading voice in promo. I mean, a leading voice in trailers. And so my thing was like, I want more trailers. I want this. I want to be able to do that. And so my thing is like, okay, I want to make sure I, I get my own distinction, my distinguishable sound for trailers now. Um, I will, I want to go, I want, I want to fly out to Japan for, for an anime Q and a, I would love to have that. I would love to be flown out for comic cons. I want to have a character in a, in a, in a show that's worthy of, of people coming in line for me to meet and talk about, uh, for conventions. I would love that. Um, I want to do more with Disney. I have, I just did this thing for, uh, for Disney plus it's, uh, I can finally talk about it, it was two years in the making. <laughs> um for uh, for Zootopia. Oh, cool. So I'm in the third yeah, it's, it's a bunch of short stories that like lined up with the movie 
And I, I, I act alongside one of my best friends and mentors, Maurice LaMarche, who is a monster in this industry, has done so many voices, uh, voice of my childhood, basically. And he has been, he kind of like, he's always been my big brother. Um, and I get to act with him on screen for the first time since we did Transformers Rescue Bots. And, um, and he, uh, and that's basically like, it's a, he plays a shrew. He plays a shrew for Zootopia. He's a shrew. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I go ice him. You know, ice, ice, blah, 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 blah. So he's like, so, so I got to be this guy, this rhino boss where I play his antagonist and he has to take me out in order for him to gain the status. So they did a parody of Godfather 2, which is one of my favorite movies. I mean, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I was like, what? Talk about universal freaking karma. I'm with my, one of my good friends. I finally cracked Disney's code because I've been auditioning for Disney for years, years. No, 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 no. But they had been listening to my auditions and I didn't even audition for this part. They called me up and said, oh, can Amari do this part? We've heard his auditions. We love him. I'm like, what? Yeah. They actually listened to my auditions? And uh, that's how I got it. So my things always change. As you, get, as you progress in your, in, in your career, you want to constantly challenge yourself as to not get complacent in your career and as a show that I care enough to keep on evolving because we are human beings. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't stop growing until the day we die. Yeah. Honestly, oh. you know what I'm saying? Like we are accumulating experiences up until the day we leave this earth. Yeah. And so like you can't stay. So that's, that's the same thing to be said with anything that we do. You need to just keep accumulating your goals. Yeah, dude, Amari, I fucking love that. Oh, I think that is... I just is... thought of that right now. I just got goosebumps myself, <laughs> dude. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm super, super glad that this has been recorded for posterity purposes because yeah. that is... I think that is a cheat code to life because if you can yeah. start creating lifelong ways to measure yourself, whether it's... It can't be financial. It really can't be because I think that will just inevitably lead to failure. But if you can have that sort of mentality, like you just said, like creating an alternating version of yourself in a time period of a year, three, five, whatever you want it to be. I think that is the cheat code to being successful in life. And fuck, I'm so glad I got that on tape. (laughs) So am I. I'm glad it came out of my head. I was like, I was feeling, I was, I was been thinking, I've been ruminating on that for for a long time. That was great. So good, man. Thank you, bro. Uh, Amari, dude, I'm I'm uh, incredibly thankful that uh, you were on the podcast with me today. Uh, dude, I just fucking love this conversation. We could obviously go for hours. Um, I have a super, oh super cheesy line. If you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. And uh, thank oh you for uh, for spending percent. this hour with me today. And uh, have a great rest of your day, man. I, I really appreciate Brother, it. I appreciate the chance. Thank you so much for just entrusting me and finding me interesting enough to be on your podcast because, you know, I just, you know, what you do is, is important and, and I think it connects so many people together. So thank you very much for having me on your, your podcast. Oh, my pleasure. And, and special shout out to Jackie Paris for setting this all up. Oh She's my God, best. Jackie. Jackie, I love you, my Jax Jax. Mwah! <laughs> Take it easy, man. Thanks. <laughs> you brother, be well, man. <laughs>